On today's Ringer NBA show, we'll be discussing the Red High Utah Jazz and the upcoming NBA draft. But first, a word from our sponsor, Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere is made from non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 16, and 17. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsible. Also want to give you a heads up that uh, I've got two new shows in the rotation on the Ringer NBA show. Monday's Heat Check with John Gonzalez and Friday's Draft Class with Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Charks, and Danny Chow. Also, Jonathan Charks on the case for Kevin Durant as the Defensive Player of the Year. Go read that now on TheRinger.com. Now, time for today's NBA show. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Comment. Kevin! What's going on? All right, so we got a lot of stuff to get to today. Obviously, the All-Star break is coming up this weekend, um, but the events of last night were intensely interesting. I settled in, and I watched the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs because... The Jazz were going for a record uh, 10th straight win, a win that they did get um, as Donovan Mitchell did not have a great shooting night, made, uh, I think, four of his last five shots, had a huge steal, came down the court and ran a little uh, pick and pop off of a screen and Ginobili almost hit like the craziest game winner ever. That, that would have been an all-timer. <laughs> that had me thinking it might go in. I know. A uh, wild so, angle. <laughs> I mean, it, it was not long ago that the Utah Jazz were sitting at 19 and 28. Now they are 29 and 28 after 10 straight wins. And I've got to find this stat, Kev. I mistakenly did not write it down before we came on. They were down 13 in the fourth, right? And Teams that had been down by 13 in the fourth quarter to San Antonio, it's like 700 and something and four. <laughs> like wow. In the, Popo- in the Popovich era. It was some kind of crazy stuff like that. <laughs> hey, the Jazz are for real, Kevin. I'm a believer. For sure. Pretty much ever since Gobert came back, he's changed their defense. And you look at the teams they've beaten, they haven't beaten a bunch of schmucks. They've beaten right. Pistons, Raptors, Warriors, Suns, Spurs, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Hornets, Blazers, Spurs again. They're killing it, man. They have the foundation of defense. Ever since Gobert came back, he's changed everything. Well, and the other thing is they can score now. That was their big problem. They've always been able to defend, but like they couldn't score for the first part of the season. And now they have really figured it out and playing together. You know, Rubio didn't even play last night, and Rubio had been on a super tear for like the last two weeks during this streak. It's always funny when Ricky Rubio has those moments where you're like, geez, like if only if he had a consistent jump shot. Because he's he's amazing. I think it was it last week, was it? Last week he had like the 34-point game, or was that the week before? I think that was also against the Spurs, wasn't it? 
Yes. Yes. But still, without Rubio, they have other guys who can step up. And I think that's a testament to, A, the team's depth, but also Quinn Snyder's coaching ability. I mean, you've really enabled Donovan Mitchell to become the guy that he is. You've, you know, had someone like Joe Ingles, who's had an outstanding week. Guys elevate into greater roles when they need to. And I think that that's what makes this team so good. And why, you know, despite the injuries, going back to last season, too, they had a lot of injuries at the beginning of the year, but they kind of battled through that. And the same thing has happened this season. And now that they're pretty much healthy, besides Rubio, I think they're certainly going to make a very, very, very strong playoff push and probably hold on because of the sheer talent on that roster. I also think that um, watching them these last couple of nights, I think Crowder's a great fit for them. I tweeted that the other night. He fits in flawlessly, I think, with that team. And I think can be a really nice piece for them come playoff time. It all, you know, you watched him a ton in Boston. It all went to hell in Cleveland for him. I mean, it was just a bad fit. It never worked. But I've always been a fan of his game. And I think that as a, you know, you plug him into a role with that team, and you're talking about in most cases, probably going to be like maybe a fourth option offensively on the court. If he's coming off the bench, he can be maybe a bigger option than that sometimes. But I think he's a great fit for them. And I think he kind of fits like their culture and kind of what they do. And I don't know. It it, well, it just looked natural. I think with Jay Crowder, I mean, the, the the conversation last season, you know, before that deal with Boston and Cleveland happened was, well, look, his defense has regressed after some of the knee injuries and the leg injuries. That's still true. He's not quite the same guy. Maybe his reputation says that he is, but he's a very good defender against forwards, not as much against guards, which is okay. That's fine. But with him, it's also about the shot. And over his career, besides really a hot streak from October to February, at the beginning of last season, he's been pretty much like a 33% shooter over the course of his entire career. And that's what he was up until early January this year. And then ever since then, he's shooting over 40% from three with Utah and with Cleveland. So maybe he's going to end the season with another one of those hot streaks as a historically streaky shooter. And if that's the case, Utah is getting him at the perfect time. And if he's not, look, I mean, if he shoots 35% from three and he plays good defense for you, you're fine with that. But if that shot is on like it has been the last two games and the last month, for that matter, he's going to be a really, really important player coming off their bench. He can be a really important player coming off their bench. And the other thing is, I I was listening to Brian Windhorst talk about just he was never comfortable in Cleveland, obviously plays the same position as LeBron. And LeBron, like, just kind of stopped passing it to him. You know, once he once he was struggling hitting his shot, and, like, he there were quotes where he would say, like, I may not even touch the ball in an entire quarter, this kind of <laughs> stuff. And it just it yeah. just went wrong for right? There are rhythm guys. Like, that's almost yeah. not even a knock against LeBron. It's just some guys need touches in order to produce. If anything, I mean, that could be used as a knock against them. Like, oh, you can't stay hot. But not everybody can, can acclimate when a guy has the ball all the time. That's right. And, and well, and LeBron has made people an immense amount of money over the years, but he is, as they say, notoriously hard on guys that don't make the open threes, right? And if you don't, you don't, you don't get, you don't get chances every single night. He'll just stop. (laughs) He'll stop stop throwing it to you over. You'll just go stand in the corner. That's what you'll do. I mean, in a way, it was just distorted expectations last summer with Crowder, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy that was ranked ahead of DeMar DeRozan on one of the top 100 lists. A lot of probably Cavs fans, a lot of NBA fans for that matter, were expecting the Cavs to get this high-end 3-and-D lockdown versatile defender when really Crowder is just a great defender against forwards, not guards, 
And the shot is not for real. I mean, he shot 39 point something percent last season from three, 39.8% from three, nearly 40, but he's not that actual level of shooter. But if he can do it over the closing months of the season for Utah, then, then yeah. that's all that He's really probably matters. somewhere in the middle, right? He's not as good as he was with the Celtics or appeared to be with the Celtics. He's not nearly as bad as he appeared to be with the Cavs. For sure. I think that's very right? fair to say. Which is a really good player, a good player, and a nice piece to have, especially if he fits with you. The other one is you mentioned a pass. Joe Ingles. He's been out of his mind, Kevin. I mean, he's been great. They're running this side <laughs> yeah. pick and roll with him last night. I mean, listen, when you're on a 10-game win streak, everybody's looking pretty good. And going against Pau Gasol on defense, too. Well, yeah, and Favors, in that fourth quarter, Favors gave Pau the business. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole quarter. He was he was a menace offensively and defensively. I thought Favors was as good as I've seen him look in a long, long time. But this Ingles, they'll run this side pick and roll, and he's burying threes. The percentages are off the charts. And I put this up on Twitter earlier asking people, he is one of those guys that if you just saw him walking through the mall or something, it, <laughs> you would never in a million years suspect that he is an extremely good NBA player, right? And so I asked people. <laughs> How come? <laughs> well, inevitably, people kidding. are going to be like, oh, yeah. you're just a bunch of white guys. But <laughs> some of the answers I got, some of the answers I got were interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, guys that are much better than they look or are good, but you would never suspect. <laughs> I got PJ Tucker. I got Danny Green was an interesting one. I don't know if I would. I mean, obviously, Danny Green's got big size, but I think people, you know, Danny Green is the kind of guy that if he's walking through the airport, people would ask him, are you a basketball player? A lot of Spurs, right? Ginobili, Davis Bertans, these kind of guys. TJ McConnell was overwhelming. TJ is one that definitely comes to mind. Anybody who's under six foot. Even Isaiah Thomas should be on sure. the list. Anybody oh, and, and who's J- under six foot. And JJ Barea. One of the ones that I got that I got a lot more frequently than I would have suspected was Jokic. Jokic. Now, I know Why? he's a he's, giant. He's huge. I know he's a giant. People are like sending me pictures with his shirt off and he looks like nothing. It's, it's really, it's really funny, right? It's, it's, it's honestly yeah. funny to see, to see some of the pictures. Alfred Payton obviously gets on there, but that's, I mean, if, El, if Alfred Payton cut all his hair off, then it wouldn't be strange, but it is the hair that stands out so dramatically that that is atypical of an NBA player per se. And then the sneaky, really good one is from our man, uh, Paulo. You know who he said? Who's that? Chris Paul. I think that is a sneaky. If you saw Chris Paul just walking around, you would never suspect he's one of the best point guards ever. Anybody six foot or under. I think it's a fair question to ask with the NBA. I mean, put it this way. I remember a couple years ago, Pablo Torre wrote an article back when he was with SI about how seven-footers have a 17% chance of playing in the NBA. And obviously that decreases as the guys get shorter. But the taller you are, I mean, the higher percent chance is that you play either in the NBA or professional basketball somewhere. So with someone like Nikola Jokic, I don't see how anybody could look at him and think, oh, he doesn't play basketball. I mean, he probably played basketball at some level, you know, even if he wasn't an NBA player, if there's like a Nikola Jokic doppelganger out there in the world. I'm aware that there are things that are much worse than this, but just on, as we are talking about this particular subject, imagine being seven foot tall and not being in the NBA (laughs) or good at basketball. I mean, that would be awful. Because, yeah. like, everything about being seven foot tall is a hassle. Yep. Everything, right? And so Clothes, you gotta, yeah. walking through a door. <laughs> Driving. Yeah, everything. everything Going everything. on an airplane. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you didn't have, like, obviously, if, you, if you're in the NBA, you can make millions of dollars and you can afford to, 
you know, cater to being seven foot tall. You can get all your clothes made and you can get the car that fits you and everything else. But being seven foot tall without being good at basketball would just be horrendous. <laughs> that would be the worst. You can get around. Uh, what a waste, right? That being said, <laughs> I do think that's true of Chris Paul. Chris Paul looks like nothing, Kevin. Have you seen? He just looks like a regular guy. He does. Okay. Here's my thing. I don't see why one person looks like a basketball player and another person doesn't, aside from height. Well, you look <laughs> like an athlete. Joe Ingles is six foot eight. Hold on now. You look like an athlete. What I'm saying is okay. that you're not cut out of granite. You're like, not like if right. Joe Ingles isn't a basketball player at six foot eight, you might think, oh, he's an offensive left tackle. No, he doesn't look in good shape. He doesn't look like somebody that would be, right? Like, I mean, typically these guys do have a body type about them. Not all. So I just don't know if there's like a type. That, that's just me. That You can never judge a book by its cover. You think Chris Paul looks like he would be one of the best basketball players ever? I don't know what the best basketball player ever looks like. Michael Jordan! What are you talking okay. about? You don't know what he looks like. <laughs> what, yeah. It's not like there's okay. not pictures of him. <laughs> but, 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 Michael, but Michael Jordan looks like the greatest basketball player ever because he's Michael Jordan. He, he's not the best <laughs> basketball player ever because of the way he looks. No, I'm, I'm aware. Yeah. Like there's a lot of guys with similar body types who have come into the league. I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> Oh, you you're, guys find a way to I, disagree like, about anything. He's acting like there's not an athletic body type. No, like, okay, I never I heard of some shit like this in my life. I feel like we're just approaching the topic a little bit differently. Where when, when you first asked the question on Twitter, I took it as like just face. Like he doesn't have like a His basketball face. face like Frank Kaminsky. Oh, he doesn't have a basketball grief. face. <laughs> I was sure you were talking about athleticism. That's what we, that's what we're we talking do. about athleticism. Like you're, you're watching a guy play basketball. No, that's what we do. We just look at their heads and decide <laughs> whether or not they're a good player yeah, or not. Well, that's the thing is like if you're judging athleticism, oh, he doesn't look like a basketball player. You need to be watching the guy play basketball in order to judge his athleticism. <laughs> You get what I'm saying? So like you you only know Joe Ingles is a bad athlete because you're watching him play basketball. This feels like first take. No, this, this is unbelievable. More than the Ringer NBA show. I don't even I don't even understand, Isaac. This fucking guy. Like if I if, the idea that I'm walking down the street and if I said Joe Ingles, is that guy a Yeah, he's it, six foot six. No, he's six foot eight, actually. If you saw Joe Ingles yeah. and would said, you know what? He might be extremely good. He might be a good enough yes, to be in the NBA. I would, because he's oh, six so foot eight. That, good grief. Uh, listen to Mr. Kevin O'Conflict. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen to him. Uh, argue with me Isaac that you do not make assumptions on people by the way they look yeah oh man but if you see a six foot eight guy walking down the street you're gonna think one of two things either oh he used to play basketball or he plays basketball now if I saw Joe Ingles I would think he's an accountant at six, <laughs> at six foot eight there are six foot eight accountants Kevin yeah I know but there's not I know what I'm saying though is we're talking <laughs> I don't, I don't even know where we started here at this point. <laughs> All right. Let's get to Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic does, transition. Does, does Donovan Mitchell look like a basketball player? He looks exactly like a rookie of the year. Ooh. 189 points over this 10-game win streak. The last rookie to lead his team in scoring during a stretch like that was Wilt Chamberlain in 1959-60. Also, a guy that, if you saw him, looked like he would be great at basketball. <laughs> so Donovan Mitchell now, uh, of course, he's going to be at All-Star Weekend. He's going to be in the dunk contest, et cetera, et cetera. I will give us a little tap on the back because you and yeah. I did a show in Las Vegas. Both loved him. 
you know, went around and obviously I saw him in a game where he had damn near 40 points and 10 steals in a summer league game. And, and then I started asking around about him and you heard all these stories. Dad's a minor league baseball coach, great kid, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, one of the NBA scouts told me that he went to a practice at Louisville and Mitchell came up to him and said, hi, you know, introduced himself and said, what can I do to work on my game for the next level? And so you just, you got all these rave reviews and he looked amazing at summer league and it has actually translated. I do think we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago and you thought it was a foregone conclusion that Simmons was going to win rookie of the year. And at that time, go back and listen to the tape. I said, if they get to the playoffs and he's the leading scorer on a playoff team, he'll win it. And this is going to be actually be, I think, a great race these last two months of the season, don't you? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I still think Ben Simmons is going to win it, you know, just based off the vote historically and yeah. what voters tend to do. But certainly, I mean, I kind of posed this question in the NBA Slack on the Ringer last night where let's say Mitchell closes the season and he ends up averaging like 21, 4, and 4, and the Jazz are the 5 or the 6 seed. And then for Ben Simmons, he ends up like 15, 7, and 7, and the Sixers are the the 7 or the 8 seed. I think the narrative would be there for voters to say, oh, Mitchell's team was better, and he, had, he scored more, and he carried the team more late in games for him to certainly steal a lot of votes. I think it could end up being close if that's the case, if the Jazz have a lot of team success, largely due to Mitchell because of his impact, obviously, on both ends of the court. But I, I don't know if he's going to win it. I still think it's too early to say, but I'm, I'm intrigued, Chris. I'm certainly right there with you. I'm intrigued. I think, I think it could end up close. He has just been out of his mind. So fun to watch. Oh, for sure. So much sure. life on the court, too, man. You see that post-game interview with him? I love I his did. energy. I don't know if you saw yesterday, you, I'm sure you did, the video that was put out of uh, of the NBA show where Gonzo and, and Chris Ryan were debating about, uh, about Markel Fultz. And Ryan, who is a Trust the Process Philadelphia 76ers fan, Gonzo started listing off all of the last draft and was asking, would you trade Markel Fultz for? Like now, right? And he said no to virtually everyone all the way down to Donovan Mitchell. Oh, come on. That's what he said. Ryan, you take it up with Chris Ryan. I'm not come at the on. office. I'm serious. Come on. I'm serious. He said no to Tatum. He said no to everybody. He said holding on to Fultz. <laughs> you don't agree? Huh? Yeah, over Mitchell? Good. Go argue uh, look, with okay, him. <laughs> all right. So with, with Markel Fultz, obviously he still has immense talent. He was ranked number one by everybody. For good reason, right? But we have a new variable that's entered the equation, and you got to take that in. And it's scary for Markel Fultz. It's very, very scary, and that's what makes this so worrisome moving forward. But whereas with Mitchell, he has answered almost all the questions that could have been asked of him pre-draft and has proven that he not only can become, at the worst-case scenario, like a Gary Harris type, he's already better than him. He's already better. And I think with Mitchell, you got to take that in, you know, despite the two year age difference. You got to take Mitchell, man. You got to take Mitchell. Well, and it can be a, as we know, it can be an incredible mistake to judge guys on the first 50 yes. games of their career. Yes. Even if we went through like the all star game and we said, what if we would have judged these guys on the first 50 games of their career? I mean, it would have been a radically different scenario. You got to be careful. And that goes the other way, too. Mitchell may never get better than what he is right now. This could be the best of Donovan Mitchell. Chances are it's not, but it could be. Yeah, no, and just think, nobody in the free world would have taken, if you redid that draft, 
You wouldn't have taken James Harden. You wouldn't have taken Steph Curry. I'm right. talking about that, the draft with Curry yep. and Harden and all those guys. You wouldn't have taken Harden after 50 games. You wouldn't have taken Curry after 50 games. You sure as hell wouldn't have taken Draymond. You wouldn't have taken Draymond after two years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So the book is never written on these guys, but the initial reaction to the first 50 games of Mitchell is they have something very special on their hands in Utah. Just a random note, and I don't know if we'll cut this, but I just was Googling for a, a 2009 NBA redraft, and, and mm-hmm. the, er, the earliest one that I can find through Google is from September 2011. And in that redraft, after two seasons, Tyreek Evans was number two, ahead of James Harden, ahead of Stephen Curry, ahead of a whole bunch of guys, DeMar yeah. DeRozan, Drew Holiday, wow. you know, Wesley Matthews even, I mean... Taj Gibson was still number 14 in this redraft. Was number one Blake Griffin? Yes, Blake was still number one. Kind of says all you need to know. Like, even after two years, wow, you, you still you still really can't judge it. I mean, Hashim Tabit was number 28 after two years. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, bad memories, but I was just oh scrolling down the list. How dare you? Yeah, that happened quickly. How dare you bring—I was, was in a good mood today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame me for that yeah. one. All right, so— Let me also mention this. One other note in passing before I get to the draft stuff, because I listened to you and Charks talking (laughs) about the draft. All right. Before I get to that, I do want to tell you, and we don't have to get in a long discussion about this, but Kevin, your bright future sons lost by 46 points last night. (laughs) It's their fourth 40-point loss of the season. The rest of the NBA has four combined. I just wanted to mention that to you. I mean, I know know they suck right now. (laughs) I mean, breaking news. Future is bright. It could be. Stop. Come on. I'm not even going to get into it, but look at that. Look up and down our roster. We, we literally just got done talking about how you can't judge young players after two years. And so now, now we're, now we're going to like dragon Bender can't become really good or Josh Jackson hasn't been really, really great. This, these last couple of weeks. I did say, uh, you know, what? Come on. really, yeah, come on, right. Chris, what do we just talk about? We agreed, and now we now suddenly we don't for some reason. That was by 46. Hey, by the way, <laughs> when you see last night, now I think, listen, you could have coached up last night and you'd have beaten the Suns if you're the Warriors. But I did think it was hilarious to watch Steve Kerr just say, you know what, coach yourselves. And that the Warriors were all coaching themselves last night. I mean, you remember like Luke Walton, like what, <laughs> during that record setting season, he was like 30 and two or something, yeah, yeah. right? It is kind of funny. Like, is that what happens if the coach doesn't show up for the Warriors? <laughs> like, if the coaching staff just said, eh, you know yeah. what, we're not going to be there tonight. Or the, whole, the entire coaching staff just happens to get caught in traffic. Yes. And Draymond has to coach. They'll be okay. <laughs> it seems like they're okay. I, I was thinking last night, I mean, if more teams started doing that just over the course of the season, yeah. I think that would be kind of cool. I like It takes it. incredible humility. Yeah. Right? It really does. Because all these coaches want to be responsible for everything. What a way to empower your players, too. Yes. Yes, and they won by 46. That was their response. I, I think anytime you can cultivate a culture of empowerment, and that's what probably Steve Kerr was going for, that's one way to do it is by letting them kind of take control and, and call the plays. That was fun to see. I hope that happens again later this season with another team. I listened to your draft podcast. Okay. I'm a big fan of it. Thank you. I'm not a big fan of this draft. Okay. Yeah, I saw, I saw your videos. Yeah. Day. Oh, yeah. you did? Yeah, I did. I watched them. You, you like those videos? Yeah, I did. I liked them. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, it would behoove me, considering my favorite team now has a lottery pick for the first time in, you know, a decade, for this to be extremely talented and extremely deep. I just don't see it. I don't. I look up and down college basketball and I see many of the good teams. 
or who are very good this year, and they're not filled with elite-level prospects. Typically, drafts can be dependent upon the quality of the one-and-done players. There's a ton of big guys in this one, for sure, right? When you look at the top prospects, even when you go back and you look at the recruiting rankings, a lot of the guys were like 6'10 or above. But anyway, when Jonathan Charks brought up freaking Larry Bird <laughs> regarding Luka Doncic, I almost passed out. Larry Bird's like one of the top five or ten players yeah, in NBA history. Like, what are we doing? Like, what? And so, let me start with Doncic. Because I did not. <laughs> Char- hey, you know I live out of town because Charks, as we've mentioned, is an absolute giant. Oh, and could God. probably squish me. Is Charks a basketball player because he's but tall? He should have been. He's a colossal waste of height. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> I love Charks. I love Charks. Leave that in. <laughs> but Luka Doncic being Larry Bird is the dumbest damn thing I ever heard in my life. I think what Charks is saying is like there's a non-zero percent chance. There could be a point zero 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 one percent chance. Dude, there is a less than zero percent chance that he is Larry freaking Bird. Come on. Larry Bird? See, this is, this is the tough part with comparisons. Like, tell me Hito Turtle. Well, I'm not. Tell me yeah, a better Hito Turtle. For sure. And that's like the greatest likelihood. You know? Oh, look, I think the Larry Bird comparison is way too out there <laughs> as well. I mean, like you said, we're talking about one of the greatest NBA players of all time. All right. Just hear me out on this, okay? Hear me out on this. And I have gotten a tremendous amount of blowback on okay. my draft yeah, opinions. Yeah. But let me just say on the Luka Doncic thing, I have not made up my mind, right? Mm-hmm. I'm saying that right off the bat. Here is my concern. My concern is the level of competition. Like once upon a time, like Dirk Nowitzki or guys like that were in like, say, they would play in like something like the Nike Hoop Summit. And you would see them against the best of the best, the elite level talent on the other side. You would even, even Rubio, we got to see him playing in the Olympics against Team USA. And so the level of competition, if you go pull up the videos, you watch them, and he clearly looks better than everybody else. Okay? What? Dude, he's playing in the second-best basketball league in the world. I'm aware of that. but That's better than Hoop Summit with some high school kids than an, like an all-star game. Not athletically, it's not. You are out of your mind if you think there is the quality of athlete in the Euro League. Yeah, but the quality of basketball. Okay, well, I've seen the quality of basketball. Here's the thing. The perimeter guys that have come over. Usually, the international players have fallen into two categories that have had great success. They are either total freaks of nature, like your Dirks, your Giannis's, your Porzingis's. Simmons, I think, would apply, obviously, from Australia as a freak of nature, 6'10", and, and, and can play point guard. Or they're big guys, Gobert, Gasol, Embiid, you know, Ibaka, Jokic, Nurkic, Steven Adams. They're big, Right. The perimeter guys, even the ones that have been the elite of the elite overseas, you can say Ginobili 20 years ago, but I guess Goran Dragic probably would be the best one. I mean, it's Dragic, Rubio, Batum, Evan Fournier, you know, these kind of guys. And then we've seen the other guys, Sergio Rodriguez, amazing overseas, Rudy Fernandez, Tia Dosich, Kirilenko was really good as a wing for sure. And then we've seen the Hazonias, who has been better recently, I must admit. Jan Vesely, Michael Petrus, I remember when he came over. It's few and far between of the perimeter guys that have come over and lit up the world. I will tell you that I, years ago, 
Juan Carlos Navarro was the best player. In fact, he's the leading scorer in the history of the EuroLeague. And he was the MVP of the EuroLeague. And he won three finals MVPs. And he was in his prime. And he came over and played for the Grizzlies for one season because his best friend was Pau Gasol. One year. And he was good, but he was not... Like, it wasn't like he walked in the NBA and he was immediately awesome. But we're talking about guys that aren't Luka Doncic. Luka is one of the most accomplished 18-year-olds in like, basketball it. history. I get it. Dominating the Spanish League and the Euro League at 18. I get it. Like, nobody's ever done it like he is. I will stand by what I said, that if he does it, then he is he's the one. He's the one that can do it. He is not a special athlete. No, he's not. He would have to do it by immense amounts of amazing skill. Yes. Right? And I think a lot, of these, a lot of these guys, they can get swallowed up by the athleticism of the NBA, which is a radically different caliber of athlete. It just is, Kevin. It just is. I like, put it this way, like saying he's going to be Larry Bird is setting expectations way too high. The point is, is that he's really freaking good. Oh, there's no doubt <laughs> yeah. he is incredibly he's skilled. Really I'm saying, freaking good. What if I what if I was able to rewind that video and instead of the 35 year old guy that's guarding him out on the perimeter, I plug in Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, of course. Can he even move an inch against him? I don't know. I don't know. 18 years old. And what matters is how he is when he's 24, 25. Right. I think the question with Doncic and Jonathan and I touched on this last Friday in draft class is the question is like the jumper. And that's where like I think the Larry Bird comparison is crazy because Larry Bird could shoot out of the womb. And Doncic, you know, thus far has been like a 33% three-point shooter. And he's a great free throw shooter. He has great touch. And there's a chance he becomes a great shooter. But thus far, he hasn't become a a great shooter. And that's really, I think, what what will determine his upside, even more so than his athleticism. More than anything else, it's it's like, what level does that jump shot actually reach? Because I have no questions about his passing ability, about his IQ. I'm not worried about his athleticism when it comes to finishing because his touch and his feel and his ambidexterity, he's, he's so good. Good, so skilled that I'm not worried about it. It's just the shot. I mean, what level does that reach? A very wise scout once told me years ago when thinking about, you know, I was talking to him about how to evaluate international players and how to evaluate college players. And this has always stuck with me. And he said, internationally, size translates. Big is big, no matter. You can be in any league in the world. Big is big, right? And that stands to reason when I've told you about either the freaks of nature or the big guys. Yeah. And he said, in college, speed translates. If you're fast, you're fast, yeah, right? I don't know if I agree with that. That's what he said. If you're fast, you're fast. I've seen a lot of fast guys flame out. Sure. No, I'm, I'm saying what translates when okay. you're watching these games. Athletically. Yes, yeah, yeah, athletically. Okay. Yeah. When you are athletically superior, that that will translate. If you can jump out of the gym and you can fly up and down the court, these are things that translate to the NBA game. And the same thing goes internationally. And the hardest challenge of scouting international players is that. When everything is so much faster and more athletic in the NBA game, how does what they do translate? And mm-hmm. are they still able to dominate or be great when that's the level of competition? And then the absence of seeing him versus that level of competition, which I believe is infinitely greater, especially athletically, I have a very hard time knowing if it's a sure thing or believing it's a sure thing. But he might be the greatest. Who knows? Nothing certain. Yes. Nothing is that, certain. That's for sure. But, but, and the rest of it, you know, who do you love? Like, really love? 
in this draft? Put it this way. Let, let me just preface what I'm about to say with this. Okay. All the top guys have some big questions. You know, DeAndre Ayton has questions. Marvin Bagley does. Mo Bamba. Michael Porter had the big injury, and even then his ball handling needs to come a long way. Trey Young, size is a question, and athleticism is with him too. All these top guys have questions, but they also have immense talent. A guy like DeAndre Ayton, two-way potential. He's someone that I love a lot. I think, for me, Luka is number one. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton's number two. Then after that, it's so much dependent on you know, role and situation that's that's going to be determining how these guys are ranked. Uh, but I do like a lot of these guys. I haven't fallen head over heels in love with any of them besides really Doncic. But I don't think you really need to fall in love at this point. It's like if you're on The Bachelor, we're not even at hometowns yet. You do not think that there is a certain number one in your mind. Obviously, you like Doncic. Yeah, it's Luka, Luka Doncic is like in his own tier for me at number one, and that can change. I mean, I'm not I'm not married to anything right now. I, I, if anything, to be honest with you, like I don't love ranking players at this point. I think sometimes you can get locked into an evaluation if you overthink it too early. What ultimately matters is your opinion in in June or June 21st when that draft actually happens. Right now, Doncic is on his own level, but that could certainly change. I think DeAndre Ayton could get on that same level. I think Mo Bamba could as well, for that matter. These guys are going to evolve. It's going to go beyond the end of the college season. What matters is almost a lot is how they improve from the end of their college seasons to pre-draft workouts and then in the draft in, in late June. Development never stops. If that is the top three or like those three that you mentioned, I, I just, I don't love any of them. None of them. I certainly don't love Aiton. Don't love Aiton, Bamba, whatever. You can have him. I really like Bagley. I do not think Bagley's going to be bad. No way. I don't right? either. Like, I just, I have this thing of, you know, all right, who do I know is not going to suck, right? Because, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you ask any talent evaluator right now, frankly, any fan right now, and I said, here's the top 10 guys in all of these mock drafts. Now, who's going to suck? They're not going to be able to point it out. They're not going to say anybody. They're all good. Hope springs eternal, right? All of them are going to be the best version of themselves. But we know inevitably we're going to look up in three or four years, and there's going to be a group of them that's just not any good, including who somebody taken in the top five is not going to be any good, right? For sure. Yeah, no doubt. So that's why I'm saying I'm almost like a safety one where I look at it and go, I do not foresee a situation where Bagley's not good. I do not foresee. That was almost the conversation we had with Jaron Jackson. That's what Charks liked about Jackson a lot, where he's you know a very safe player, where you know he's going to be able to contribute in a, in a specific type of role. Jaron Jackson is not going to be bad. I'm with you, hundred yeah, no. percent. Yeah, he's not. Like, I'm now, with you. I, he got in foul but, trouble but, this but weekend. But are you going to take Jaron Jackson over somebody who? While you have questions and while mm-hmm. you're you're worried about about these guys, would you take him over DeAndre Ayton, who has I know you've tweeted about that poor yep. game he had the other week, but he's also had some absolutely incredible moments as well. No, I know people always tell me, you know, oh, you just watched the wrong game. So I watched him again this past weekend. I just, I just <laughs> he, wasn't into he, it. He stink again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just it was like fifteen and six or something. I mean, it was I wasn't into it. I don't know. I just don't love him. And and again, like we said. The overrated stuff gets, it's very hard on these kids, right? Like, I mean, stop it already with the Joel Embiid, Hakeem Olajuwon, Larry Bird. Like, stop, come on. I mean, this this shit has gotten so insane. But on the other <laughs> hand, I mean, come on. Like, we're talking about these guys, the, the greatest players of all time. Literally the greatest players of all time are some of the comps. And I'm like, what are you watching? But um, 
Somebody alert me when DeAndre Ayton's playing against like McNeese State or something, because that's obviously when I need to see him. Not when he's playing against <laughs> UCLA or USC or or somebody really good or, or somebody that's got real athletes. By the way, my comp for Ayton is like a if we're talking highest highest possible oh upside, oh like oh a, Pat, a Patrick Ewing type of guy. Oh, for it, it, but but the, the thing is, is he's so the thing is, is you need to qualify that with he's so far away from that. He's so far away that Patrick it seems outrageous. Ewing. Dude, the point is of, of, of those. Co- like a, oh, he's like a decade worth of all-star Yeah, teams. we're talking about different types of outcomes. The The probability is that a guy's not going to become that. There's like a 5% chance that he is that. There's a 60% chance of something in the middle, right? And then there's the rest that he just completely busts and he's out of the league or whatever. What I'm saying is there's different outcomes for some of these guys, but you can't say with a straight face that Ethan Happ can become Patrick Ewing or whatever the greatest outcome is for him. The Larry Bird comparison is ridiculous, but the point is is that there's a non-zero percent chance that the outcome for this player is franchise-level player. You know what I'm saying? And No, and that's that's just where we part ways. I say zero percent. <laughs> I mean, I look at these yeah, kids but you, and but I say, you can't no way. S- you can't say that for everybody who comes through the draft. You could have said that for James Harden in 2009. You could have said that no. for Stephen Curry. Oh, there's a 0% chance. For some of these guys, there's not a 0% chance. It might be only 1%, might be 5%. No, I'm talking about this specific draft. That's my uh, With these kids. I mean, if you would have told me Anthony Davis could be one of the greatest players to ever walk planet Earth, I mean, you would have to be a dumbass to watch Kentucky and not feel that I way. Agree. I, mean, I, mean, you know, I mean, I mean, like agree. everybody saw it. I just don't see that with these I'm kids. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. There's not an Anthony Davis prospect in this draft. There's yeah. not. There's not a guy where it's like, no, duh, he's the number one pick. No, when people were saying like, hey, that guy could be Tim Duncan, that's a stretch. But if you watched him, you're like, Dude, I don't know. He might could. I mean, this kid is like, he is unbelievable. He was like. But would you have said that about Tim Duncan, the freshman? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I and, don't. That, and that's the tough part. Like, that's that's the difficulty here, right? Because these kids are coming out as mm-hmm. 19 years old. Right. Right. And it, like, if you allow high school players to come out, like I think could happen in the coming years, it's going to be even harder when you're right. judging high school talent. Like it's going to be incredibly difficult to project forward. Whereas with seniors and or even juniors for that matter, you, you kind of have a good idea of, of yeah. who they are and what they can be. And for Tim Duncan, it was no duh, you know. And, yeah. and it's very rare you get an Anthony Davis type. Regarding those biggest prospects, I told you I, I've got the questions on Doncic, but I haven't made up my mind. Aiton, I'm not into Bamba, whatever. Bagley, I really like. Jaron Jackson, I really really like. And Porter Jr., the only thing, I mean, there's a lot to love. The only thing that scares me is the back surgery because it's not a back injury, it's surgery. I think if you saw him play, you'd have more to worry about than just the back. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, his first step is okay. okay. You know, his ball handling needs to improve a hell of a lot. Okay. Um, There's, you know, there's more questions with him than than just the back in my opinion. And last one, let me get your opinion on this. Uh, Because I said this regarding the draft. And listen, I'm not the end-all be-all on this stuff. I'm well aware. Everybody's got different opinions on prospects. Nobody's the end-all be-all. Nobody. (laughs) Right? 12 teams passed on Donovan Mitchell, right? So (laughs) these, these are supposedly the best people at doing this in the world. <laughs> uh, or it should be if they're running the team, right? It's, it's not an exact science. It's, it's it not easy. Yeah. So um, one of the opinions I gave was on the Trey Young thing. And I said, I, I see very little in between on him, Kev. He's either going to be like a big star or 
it's not going to work out at all. Like I really watch him and think either all this shit's going to work or it's not on the next level. And I've just got to decide if I think it's all going to work because I don't think that we're going to look up and Trey Young is okay. I really don't. Why not? The extremes on him are really serious. Like I could look up and I like, let's just say whoever, uh, and I don't want to even say, okay, but like say Marvin Bagley, right? Marvin Bagley doesn't reach, you know, star potential. Like if you're Derek favors, you're still really, really good, right? You're really good. And that could be the floor for you. I think the floor for young would be way, way lower, way lower. But the ceiling is like, obviously a star, a star, right? You're either going to be able to pull that stuff off or you're not on the next level. I really feel that way. And if he does, he's a big star. And if he doesn't, he's not going to be good. And I have a hard time thinking he's not going to be good, but I just don't think there's much middle ground. I don't think he's just going to be an okay NBA player. So, like, what is, like, the worst case for him? Because, like, I don't I don't see how he, he could ever possibly be any worse than a guy he's already better than, like Tyus Jones. He's already better than Tyus Jones. Okay, so, like, the worst would be... Oh, I mean, obviously, the worst is, like, a flameout, right? Like, you're, like, your jimmers of the world. But maybe... Like Trey Burke was in the G League this year, right? Yeah, I think he just got an NBA contract, right? He did, from yeah. the Knicks, right? Yeah. So, I mean... You think he could end up just being okay, though? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't, I don't see why not. Well, because of what the stuff he does, right, when you watch him play. Yeah, but he could be like a spark plug, you know, that comes off your bench. Even if he's not a starter, you know, if he's not an elite guy that does it every night, he could be somebody who does it once every 15 games. 15 games? Well, the shit, you, you, don't, you don't want to take that guy in the top five of or course, ten. Of course. I, but, but I know, but I'm just talking specifically about the part where that's just an okay player. A guy who sometimes like helps helps you keep you in a game or helps you know extend your lead off the bench, he could become that you know one of the, a spark plug off the bench. Those guys are nice to have. Granted, yeah. you're not taking that guy in the top five or six, but it's a possible outcome for him. Just well, you like know. then you're Fred Van Vliet, right? Who's really good comes off your bench. Who's your, and who's your number one guy? Is it Bagley? I love Bagley and I love Sexton and I love Jaron. Those are the three. I really so love. that's your top three, probably right now. Bagley, Sexton. Jaron Jackson. Those are the ones I like the most that I have the least amount of questions about. But like, if you're the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies end up with the number three pick. I would hope to get one of those three guys, yes. Okay. I'd be happy with any of those three. I think you might miss out on Luka Doncic or DeAndre Ayton. Oh, well, I certainly I would, right? And then I'm, I've missed out on Larry Bird and Patrick Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> or I have missed out on Sergio Rodriguez and Hashim Tabit. You tell me, you're somewhere in between with DeAndre there. Ayton. By the way, if we wrap back around, speaking of level of competition, there needs to be a damn investigation on these these highlights, like the House of Highlights and all these people. <laughs> Who in the F is that kid playing against? I swear, every time I see he's like these four foot five white kids, and he's like, he looks like damn Dominique Wilkins doing windmills and shit out there. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. It's like, it's like Thon Maker looks like the yeah, next Kevin Garnett. It's just these, just these little white. I'm like, what league is he in? Like yeah. playing against these know. little, you've got this freak of the kid, like he's built like a, Brick house looks like damn LeBron out there uh, playing against, <laughs> you know, like these seventh grade white yeah. kids. And I'm like, good grief. I just pulled up a video of Thon Maker. 
from 2014. Here's some of the top comments. He's like a mix between Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant. <laughs> He's a seven foot Ibaka mixed with Durant. LOL. Oh, God. Unbelievable. The next Kevin Durant? No, dot, dot. He's the first Thon maker. Stop comparing him. Oh, my God. Second coming of Hakeem Olajuwon. This this is what would happen if Garnett and Durant were to produce a child. Sorry, that's the last one. I, that, that's a good one. This is the culture we live in now. Yeah. So there is a kid that locally I joke around about. It's like 7'4". Mm-hmm. His name's Connor Vanover. He's the backup for Bowl Bowl at Finley Prep, right? Yeah. And he is committed to go to Memphis. And he's not even like a top 200 player in the country. But I went and looked him up, right? They said, oh, this kid committed to play at Memphis. So I went and like, I, I did the YouTube search. And I was like, well, let me see what he looks like. I swear to God, the first video says Connor Vanover, the, the next Dirk. And I was like, what? <laughs> the next Dirk? So I call him Arkansas Dirk. He's coming to Memphis. Oh, like yeah, this. I see it. I see it right here. It says the next dirt. Seven foot three sophomore, Connor Vanover, mixtape <laughs> at Washington, TFC, <laughs> dash, next, next Dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> <laughs> next Dirk, Arkansas Dirk. <laughs> That's what we live in now, right? Mm-hmm. One of the first comments on that video, another Porzingis. <laughs> 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 I mean, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. That's great. Right? It's, yeah. uh, the, but but at least, like, I, I look at that kid and it looks like an actual high school team he's playing against. I swear, this Zion Williamson plays against elementary school kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, every game. I don't know what league that kid is in. Zion's a quality prospect, for sure. You know, yeah, with, yeah. His, with his athleticism. Um, but I, you know, when I heard that comment about him not wanting to shoot after he misses, it's like, whew. But does that apply to when you make other mistakes? Like, does that apply when you miss a defensive rotation and you, and you know, you feel like you get, I, no, that, no, seriously, that's what I took it as. It's like, if you feel that way about your jumper, yeah. does it also feel that way when you fail at something else? And that's something hopefully, you know, he matures and, you know, he yep. develops that, but a lot of guys don't. A lot of guys say the Hopefully same. Hopefully he's got great people around him because it, yeah. it is very difficult when you're 16, 17 years old and you're on the cover of Slam Magazine or mm-hmm. whatever. Those next no couple years of your life, you no know, doubt. the level of fame, the level of attention, all of this stuff that comes along with that. Hell, I just watched that interview with uh, Johnny Manziel yesterday, right? And you hear him talking. It's yep. like he's, he's 19. He's a freshman. I would argue at that time he was the most famous athlete in America. For, for that moment in time. Yep. Like everybody. Johnny Football was an absolute phenomenon. That's not even an exaggeration. No. Yeah, go back in time. And, it's the truth. And it was so much so fast, mm-hmm. right? And he just you lose total you know, thought of self, everything. And so hopefully this kid's got great people around him. It's truly the underrated part of LeBron and the empire that he has built, both business-wise, his circle, keeping it close and going through because LeBron has been famous since he was 15 years old and... That level of fame. I mean, you know, it's hard to be young star. It's another another testament to LeBron's yeah. greatness. <laughs> 100%. And those people that are around him. Because he's had the same group yep. his whole life. You're right. Not just LeBron, but everybody in his That's circle, right. right? Their yes. mindset, their ability to have the, the foresight to look forward and, and think, okay, let's, let's think long And protect him here. from yep. things, right? Exactly. Not, not be the guy that's, you know, become the biggest star in the world early at an age. Anyway, Kevin. 
I love Tuesdays. Me too, Chris. Can't wait to I listen do. to your uh, draft thing. You and you and Sharks can just yeah. shit all over me on Friday. We got Danny Chow coming on this Friday too. Get, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, brother. Talk to you next Tuesday. See you, Chris. All right. That's going to do it for another Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. Hey.